Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Good afternoon, you're listening to 90.7 FM, KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grocks. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking about superconducting nanotube creams. In addition, we'll be talking with Theo Brandt-Seraph about guerrilla travel tactics. Also, we'll find out where sunspots come from. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the world-famous question of the week, coming right up here on Berkeley Grocks. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Not too bad, not too bad. How about you, Charles? Oh, I'm feeling finished. Finished? <laughs> Finally done is what I'm feeling like. <laughs> PhD, now. right? That's right. Dr. Lee. As Dr. Evil said, I did not spend four years at Evil Graduate School to be called Mr. Thank you very much. <laughs> so what did you get for all this hard work? Uh, all I got was a sucker. <laughs> Just a sucker. <laughs> Just a sucker, which I think is a metaphor for, uh, for life in grad school, really. <laughs> so, who knows? <laughs> well, congratulations, Charles. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ling. <laughs> Many more to come, right? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> science still goes on. Well, science does indeed still go on, and uh, regardless of uh, the people around us uh, getting stuff, uh, uh, what's going on in science on your end? Well, it turns out there's some exciting stuff going on in Berkeley. Is there? Yes. Such as? Superconductivity. Oh, well, it's always been a superconductive place around Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. Just the so flow of ideas and the people. <laughs> Flows. In fact, that's the key to superconductivity. Is the that right? Flow. The flow. Getting electrons to flow. Got to go with the flow. And the study that just came out from uh, UC Berkeley, uh, Lawrence Berkeley Labs, and uh, University of Tokyo suggests that phonons, or vibrations in uh, the loudnesses of these materials, could be crucial in the superconducting phenomenon for high temperatures. Oh, I see. So depending on what sort of the natural vibration of a material is, uh, would make it uh, a better superconductor or less. Right. In fact, it may, it may be a necessary property for... Uh. for uh, the electrons to flow freely through this material. And what they've discovered is they have materials which are usually copper-based ceramics, and they always contain uh, bismuth, ethium, or lanthanum, one of those exotic metals, to make it work. And what they found is in this lattice, electrons are loosely tied to it, so they can sort of move away from the atoms. And by doing that, they form these vibrations, Mm. these phonons, I see. When the crystals, and as a result, when you have like electron pairs called Cooper pairs, they seem to flow freely I see. through this material. I see. So it, it's basically creating something like a large-scale molecular orbital for the whole lattice that allows electrons something to Something like that. Yeah. And when it resonates with the electron pairs, then it just flows. Ah, intriguing. 
It's all about the flow. The flow. And the waves and the phonons. And bismuth, mm. which I always thought was the sexiest of all elements, really. <laughs> sexiest? You have yeah. it in the morning every day? I, I, uh, you know, it comes in the special case cereal, I think. <laughs> I'm not, sure what, I'm not sure what the USDA is or recommended allowance for bismuth is. But. Okay, so this was an interesting work that was led by researcher Alessandra Lanzara, and it was published in the July 8th edition of Nature. All right, well, uh, moving up a little from uh, superconductive uh, ions to uh, more superconductivity, actually. Ooh. <laughs> well, or at least... Super-duper. Yes, well, uh, it's uh, interesting for researchers that are working on nanotubes. Nanotubes? Yes. So, uh, do you know what temperature is outside? What, in outer space? Well, anywhere. <laughs> 25 degrees? Okay, well, I guess so. Well, it turns out that... I guess I was, trying to, of course. I was trying to make a point with that, but I guess there's... Uh, the point here is that at very small scales, temperature really apparently has no meaning. Oh, of course, since it's just an average of the vibrational uh, motion of these... Atoms, atoms or whatever, or yeah. So, uh, but the question, of course, has been, like, at what scale does uh, you know, temperature become a meaningless concept? At, you know, 100 atoms, 200 atoms, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what these researchers are suggesting is that at the, uh, that's just at the nanoscale, in which you have a nanotube, which is maybe as long as, a, as thick as a sheet of paper. Right. Even at that scale, they're suggesting the temperature really has no meaning. Huh. So what does it become, like, miles per hour down there? <laughs> It becomes like a tortoise in the hair problem. <laughs> actually, they're suggesting that this is actually uh, important for people who are going to be working in uh, nano devices because if they're engineering some kind of nano device that supposes an average temperature, then it could have uh, undesired effects if there's sort of inhomogeneities in the in the energy of the of the material. So again, like uh, like the superconductors that we're talking about, uh, uh, it depends on the material and all sorts mm-hmm. of other things like that. But it was interesting uh, work, and they suggest it's important to uh, to look at this sort of uh, physical feature as published in the physical review letters led by Ordwin Hess from the University of Surrey in Gilgord, UK. So Charles, what kind of creams do you put on your body? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. You really don't want to ask me that. It starts with K and ends with Y, I think. But <laughs> I'm not sure if you're supposed to use that on the body, though. You mean you don't put it in your nose? Uh, well, I, I haven't tried that yet, but it sounds kind of kinky. <laughs> the new one that just came out called Allergol, which you put in your nose. Oh, okay. Yeah. i I got to pick that up. <laughs> it's a petroleum-based jelly. Oh, okay. The purpose is to um, collect or sequester pollens as they enter your sinuses. Okay, so it's kind of asked like uh, uh, artificial mucus. Something like that. Oh, intriguing. Some researchers are testing it out, and apparently when you use this um, hydrocarbon-based ornament, uh, it's basically a physical barrier against any pollens that you inhale. When they did this with uh, a test study with placebo, it, this thing worked about 66% better. The people who had allergies mm. were getting 66% less uh, symptoms than the people who were using the placebo. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds interesting, but I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine the discomfort of putting jelly up the nose might be... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might, uh, <laughs> might be uh, counterbalanced by the allergy. Well, that's interesting. I wonder when they're going to come up with something to stick in your ears or <laughs> <laughs> other body crevices. <laughs> Anyways, this was... Um, you can actually find more about the, the study from uh, the Archives of Autolaryngology, volume 130. Well, 
Well, you know, uh, they come up with so many uses for uh, petroleum jelly. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I think at one point they actually used to uh, eat it as sort of a natural curative. Or right. Something. I think the person who discovered it ate like a teaspoon every morning. Yeah. It was good for ulcers, apparently. Right. <laughs> I think he also thought it helped him lose weight or something. <laughs> but actually, that brings us to the issue of the, the low-carb diets, which are the big fad nowadays, right? Low carbs. Yeah. So, of course, this is getting a, a big, uh, big, you know, big press, of course. But It's hurting the bakery industry, I heard. <laughs> All those bread makers, I feel sorry for them. Hmm. But uh, so, but of course, a lot of people have argued that well, does it really matter? I mean, a calorie is a calorie, whether it comes from protein or or bread or whatever. Right. But so researchers are actually uh, arguing that in fact, all calories are not equal. Really? Yes, that protein calories are a little different from uh, carbohydrate calories. So some calories are hotter than others, I guess. <laughs> well, as they say, I mean, so obviously, you know, there's some biochemical difference in terms of uh, how these things are processed. Right. But they're also showing that uh, they 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 show that in fact, protein gives off more heat when it's burned than uh, than carbohydrates, which are probably stored more as fat. Interesting. So it's sort of a thermodynamic argument that, in fact, all calories are not equal and that more of the protein goes into uh, just being burned off. So it was interesting work and, uh, I guess, uh, some vindication for all those people uh, doing the Atkins diet out there. So if anyone wants to uh, read more about unequal well, calories... <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess you could go to any uh, fast food uh, joint. I guess they all have, like, Atkins diet menus nowadays. Yeah, I think Carl's Jr. has one. Don't they have, like, a six-gram carb burger or yeah, something? Yeah, you get it without a bun now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like the bun. The bun's the best part. Especially with the sesame on it. Oh, I know. But uh, besides going, as guess, to the uh, fast food places, they can take a look in the New England Journal of Medicine. The study was led by Richard Feynman of the State University of New York. Wow, you mean a physicist? <laughs> no, he, he hasn't come back from the dead <laughs> to... Uh, to the, uh, to the study, but you know, I wouldn't put it past him because he was quite prolific, even in death. No, it's uh, it's a different Feynman with an I instead of a Y. Oh, do you remember his last words before he dies? Like, I would hate to die twice. It'd be boring. <laughs> well, I'm sure he he led an interesting enough life that he guess once was enough. Yeah. And that's all for this week's look at current developments in the world of science and technology. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Mr. Theo Brandt-Seraf will join us to talk about travel tips, so stay tuned.
Welcome back to Berkeley Grox. Well, getting from point A to point B may be one of the toughest challenges that we face every day, especially for travelers who have to commute long distances. Well, joining us today is Mr. Theo Bransarif, who's going to talk about some of the tips for getting by a little easier and cheaper. Mr. Bransarif, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Grox today. Thanks for having me as a guest, Frank. I really enjoyed your reading your book so far. Um, perhaps you could give us a little background how I got involved in this travel consulting uh, arena. Well, I myself, because of my consulting practice, travel a lot for business, and then my wife and I, with our kids, love to travel just for fun. So over 15 years, I've learned all the the little tricks of the trade and the strategies to get much lower prices when we travel, and Mm -hmm. preferably if we can, uh, get upgraded, especially when we're going really far away. I've heard many arguments about whether upgrading is more valuable or getting a free flight. Uh, what's your views on that? Well, the key is depends what's important to you. And my general thinking is the following. Generally, when I'm going in the United States, I'm okay with sitting in coach class. Because the longest flight, of course, is five hours, mm-hmm. uh, coast to coast. It's when you're going to be going like to Singapore or Istanbul or Italy, where you really want to try to get upgraded. And the, I think the most important thing to get upgraded when you're going far away, of course, is to use your frequent flyer miles. Keep your miles for those kind of trips. If you want to go to, uh, I don't know, Florida for, uh, for a week with your kids and go to Disneyland and uh, Epcot Center, buy the ticket because you can buy tickets to Florida for almost always under $200. So I'd rather pay for those and use your miles for those long trips, which would otherwise be very expensive in first class or business class. So that's the way I do it and make sure that I'm uh, uncomfortable either way. Now, one of the things that I've learned, Frank, is if you're flying in the U.S., there are some strategies if you're going to be in coach class that you can uh, take advantage of if you, mm-hmm. if you want to get comfortable. Right. And I think the most important four, and they all begin with an S, first of all, the seat. When you book your reservation, if you're one or two people traveling together, uh, ask for an aisle seat with an open middle. That can make a big difference. And I always ask for it far at the back. Now, most people don't like seeing the back for a reason that I don't understand. They think that because it's close to the bathrooms or the kitchen, it's going to be noisy or they want to enjoy the experience. And I've never had a problem. Now, remember, when I'm traveling, I'm often a business traveler working on a computer, and I want quiet, so I don't have a problem at the back. Ask for an open, for an aisle seat with an open middle as far back as possible. So that's key number one. Number two, seat uh, after seat comes what I call snack or food, and I like to order special meals because uh, you get served first very often, and the quality is a little bit better, but even more important, no matter how far my trip is going to be, always bring my own food with me. doesn't matter what they give me or if they don't give me anything at all or I don't like it, I'm guaranteed of something that I'll like and I can eat it whenever I want. Number three, sleep, if you're especially going uh, overnight. When you get on the plane, grab a pillow and a blanket. Even better, especially if you're traveling abroad, bring your own. I've actually carried my own comforter and pillow onto the plane, and again, I get exactly what I want. And the fourth thing, the last thing, again, with an S, is sound. And especially for technology people, you know, we love uh, the high-tech stuff. Right. Uh, I have a Bose headset, but there are many on the market that are really good if you just, you know, search on a, any search engine. And the uh, one that people like for flying is called a noise-canceling headset, mm-hmm. where you can actually cancel out the noise of the engines and babies around you. And, and there are many good ones on the market that uh, people can buy from all the way up to 300 I guess one of the uh, recent trends these days is the internet and how it's changing traveling, especially how we buy tickets and make reservations. Uh, Could you tell us what some of the tricks here are? I'll keep it short and really focus people in on what I think are the very best sites. For airfares, there's one site that I use a lot. It's orbits.com, O-R-B-I-T-Z.com. I I like it because it's very quick to see what a whole bunch of airlines are charging 
for wherever you want to go. There's one that I've just come across that's in beta testing that really impressed me. I used it a few nights ago. It's kayak.com, K-A-Y-A-K.com. And similar kind of thing. You put in your city where you're starting, city you're going to, and your date. And it looks across all different websites and seems to be extremely comprehensive with prices that really impressed me. So you can sign up now to be part of the beta testing. And I would strongly recommend that to tech people. Uh, the site that I like for hotels is TripAdvisor, T-R-I-P-A-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. And I like that one. is uh, It includes reviews from people like you and me, not the, you know, not the people who get paid to go uh, to review the hotels and they always give it a good review. These are people who really stayed at the place and are ordinary consumers. And if it's bad, they'll tell you it's bad. Okay, so it's sort of like e-opinions or something. Correct. Like but it's more sites. comprehensive for hotels than e-opinions is. So that's my favorite one for hotels. And then you can uh, link to uh, a section where you just put in your destination city, your date, and you can get different quotations from several sites with one click of the mouse. So I really like TripAdvisor.com for hotels. Now, one other thing which your listeners may want to do is you come to my website, which is TravelExpert.com, and the beauty of that is just put in your email address and your name, and I'll email you any promotion or important alert that I can see in the marketplace. For example, the one I did yesterday, and it's free, of course, is I told people what the status is of the bankrupt airlines and those that are bankrupt, those that are about to be bankrupt, mm-hmm. and what it means for their frequent flyer miles. So if anything important and happening in the market, uh, come to TravelExpert.com, sign up, and I'll tell you, free of charge, exactly what's important. About getting hotels, are there any particular strategies besides that website you mentioned? Uh, here's what I do. Go to several websites, take a look at the pricing, and all, almost always I will still call the hotel direct mm-hmm. and see if I can get a better price. And I'll give you three examples of discounts you can ask a hotel for. If you're going for a weekend, most cities are very quiet over the weekend because they're no business travelers, and they can give very good discounts. Now, the exception there would be Las Vegas, of course. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. The best prices are during the week. <laughs> so they have a weekday rate, which is much better. Second discount, which I like a lot, is AAA. If you belong to AAA, definitely ask for that discount to see if it's available and if it's good. And the third one is the entertainment card. You know that book you can buy for any city? all kinds of coupons. Uh, you can go to entertainment.com and purchase the book online. So it's between 35 and $45 a year, and they have all kinds of uh, discount coupons for, for flights, for dry cleaners, for restaurants, for movie, you, you name it. But the best part for hotels is you get a card in the front of the book. It's like a credit card. Mm-hmm. And if you show it when you check in, they will give you up to 50% off. And, of course, you can get that discount uh, when you make a reservation, you say, I want the entertainment rate, and they'll see if they can uh, save you 50% off the usual rate. Uh, Anderson, you also mentioned about credit cards. Some have uh, benefits that I don't know about. Uh, for example, the Diners Club. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I divide credit cards into people who fly a lot or travel a lot and those who don't travel very often. Mm-hmm. If you travel a lot, like 20,000, 30,000 miles a year, the Diners is a fantastic card, it's Diners Club. And the reason I say that is uh, there's no spending limit within reason, of course, and the every dollar you spend, you get a mile. Those miles, they bank for you. They sit in your, diner's, in your diner's account, and you can transfer them into any and every airline you can imagine whenever you need them. So three weeks' time, if you need 7,000 Northwest Airlines miles because you're just a little bit short in your account for a free ticket, call up diners and you say, transfer 7,000 to my Northwest account. And then one year later, you can call and transfer 6,000 into your 
American account. So the miles are very flexible, and the service from diners is fantastic. So I like that for, for the business traveler. Now, the reason I say business traveler who travels a lot is diners is very well accepted by airlines, hotels, restaurants, car rental. It's perfect for travelers, but for day-to-day use, especially for the infrequent traveler, if you really want to get some miles from your credit card, but you don't travel very often. The card that I like is the American Express Starwood card. Not the regular American Express, but the one that they brand with the Starwood Hotel chain. Now, Starwood owns Sheraton Hotels, Western, W. Tech people like what W because it's very trendy. And you same kind of thing. You earn your points or your miles with Starwood Hotels. So you charge a dollar, you get a uh, Starwood point, and you can transfer those points into all the major airlines as you need them. Or even better, you can still use it for hotel stays if you want. So it's a very flexible card uh, that can you get your miles on any airline or allow you to stay at hotels. So those are my two favorites, depending on whether you fly a lot or not so much. So I've noticed on, like, say, eBay, there are oftentimes auctions for flight coupons. Are, are they are reliable or can they be fraudulent? can be fraudulent. I'd be careful with eBay, just like anything else. And... As far as selling frequent flyer miles, never do that. If the airline finds out that you've done it, you've bought somebody's frequent flyer miles, uh, they can confiscate your ticket. And it's happened to people. You don't want to take that risk. If you see a coupon like uh, $200 off a Southwest flight, and they're right. selling it for 100 because it's going to expire and they can't use it, mm-hmm. I guess you could buy it. I've never done that. Um, I can always find coupons somewhere that uh, don't force me to do that kind of thing. But it's, it's probably a reasonable risk. But never, 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 in my opinion, should you buy somebody's miles from eBay or anywhere else for that matter. You could get in trouble. I see. And finally, um, I understand you've traveled abroad quite frequently. Are there any uh, major advice for uh, when you go abroad? You know, when you go abroad, it's really depending on where you're going. If you're going to English-speaking countries, of course, we know Australia, England, Canada... It's really easy to get around. If you're going to countries where they don't speak the language, I think the most important thing is to go with the right mindset. Uh, you know that you'll struggle a little bit with the language. Uh, most of us don't have time to go study the language, of course. Right. But I think the biggest mistake that people make when they go abroad is when they deal with money. A lot of people like to take traveler's checks, which is certainly not a bad idea. Uh, if you lose them, you're going to have to go replace them in 24 hours, and you can do that, but it's time-consuming. My personal favorite thing to do with uh, currency or dealing with money is just you just you take with you your regular bank ATM card, and you do cash advances, probably 50 or $100, maybe 200 at a time. So you know there's not much to steal. If you lose your $200, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But most important, the transaction fees are so small. Unlike any other, you know, whether you're changing cash or traveler's checks, there's no transaction fee besides the bank fee, which is usually going to be probably no more than $5 if you're withdrawing uh, $200. So keep it small. I I think taking your ATM card is by far the best. Excellent. Well, uh, Mr. Brent Sarif, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Grocks today. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Frank. And we were just talking to Mr. Theo Brent Sarif on his new book, Guerrilla Travel Strategies, now available online and bookstores around you. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, we'll find out what's the difference between a human teeth and an animal teeth. So stay tuned.
welcome back to Berkeley Rocks, and now here's the Everyday Science Lady with this week's Everyday Science. Ever wonder if there's a difference between human teeth and animal teeth? The answer can be found in Everyday Science. As a rule, human and animal teeth are made of the same stuff, but they have very different shapes. Those shapes are based on the size of the animal's jaw and the work the teeth do. For instance, an elephant is a vegetarian. A very large vegetarian that only has four teeth at a time. One in each jaw and one on each side. These teeth don't grow up and down like ours. See, they grow from the back of his jaw to the front of his mouth. So as the elephant eats its daily 440 pounds of grass, fruit, leaves, and twigs, those four teeth move in a circular motion, grinding all that vegetation to an easily digestible pulp. Then there are the meat-eating animals, or carnivores, like dogs, wolves, and lions. These animals have small front incisors, but large, sharp fangs. Those fangs are used to rip meat and hide and hold their prey still. Behind those fangs are strong, jagged teeth used for tearing and crushing. Of course, human teeth are a completely different story. See, as a species, we tend to eat both meat and vegetables, so our teeth are all different shapes and sizes which is perfect whether we're ordering a filet mignon, a large Caesar salad, or some other toothsome delight. Thanks for being a part of Everyday Science. Everyday Science is part of Bayer Corporation's national education program, Making Science Make Sense. Well, now here's Forrest Gump with the answer to last week's question of the week. Forrest? Thank you, Charles. My mama used to say, when the sun had spots, God was having pimples, but now these scientists tell me it was caused by magnetic fields, and that's where sunspots come from. Oh ho ho! It is Frenchy French with this week's question of the week. Oh ho ho! It lubricates. It is. Oh, it is awesome. It is petroleum jelly. Ah, but where does this jelly come from? Well, if you know the answer or think you know the answer, email us at grooks at hotmail dot com. You won't know the answer, but oh ho ho! You might just feel a little smoother. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Crocs. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Crocs, email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Crocs, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music with your host, Katie. <laughs>